You know, in moments like this, it's so important that we pause. Pause to look back and look ahead and to give thanks to God, also with an expectation about what's to come. Uh, When I think about the past 40 years, uh, I'm encouraged to say, really pause, slow down, think about it. Um, This is a real page turner in the life of us as a people. Uh, Why do I say page turner? When you're reading the Bible, some of us still use paper. When you turn a page, you can read one chapter, you can read one verse, maybe one sentence in just 10 seconds, but it's 40 years of somebody's life. And it goes so quick, and you don't want somebody just to go by your life in 10 seconds. So it's good to pause and to look back um, and to realize how much can change in 40 years in just two verses. For example, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses, I think it's 29 and 30, it says, the people of God passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. That's what it says. Verse 30, the walls of Jericho came down after the people of God walked around it. It's the same people, but it's 40 years later. And even though it's the same people, it's not necessarily the same persons. I'm part of this people, but 40 years from now, I'm not sure that I'll still be present because I'll be 97. So it's possible, but we'll be the same people even if we're not the same persons because some of us have passed on. You're with me. So it's all part of your history. So some of you, I'm looking at your faces for the first time like, who is this guy? Well, who are you? I've been here 37 years, right? Come on now. Come on. Don't look at me like that. Like, who are you? Right? I've been around a minute. And so, you know, I kind of want to read something that helps us hopefully tonight as we, uh, as we kind of unpack what God has for us. All right. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read two passages from Joshua. The first will be Joshua chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And then I'm going to read Joshua chapter 7, 5b. B just means the second part of 5, through verse 11. All right. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Say, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now in Joshua 7. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the Ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. 
And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. Holy Spirit, I thank you. You are our helper. Thank you for helping us now. Amen. I'm calling this 40 years, a rock and a hard place. 40 years, a rock and a hard place. Often we may use that expression, I haven't heard it of late, but sometimes think, people think, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. I don't mean it in that way. When I say a rock and a hard place, I'm, sp- I'm speaking of Jesus who is our rock. And the hard place can be the heart, our own heart. The hard place can be the city that we're called the wind. The hard place can be any place that seems resistant to God and resistant to his thoughts and his ways. But I want you to know something. A hard place is no match for a rock. So we can leave. You got the whole message. That's it. Because you've already lived long enough to hit some hard places. Hard places in your own heart. Hard places in life. Anybody been in some hard places? Yeah, we've hit those hard places, but those hard places are no match for our rock, Jesus. No match at all. And I'm speaking not just from what I've read in the Bible, but from what I've lived of it. So just what's happening here? This is such a significant moment in the history of God's people, the nation of Israel. For 40 years, 40 years. They have been going from place to place to place to place to place. All because there was transition from slavery to freedom. And the place that God assigned for them was going to take about 11 days. But they were in a bit of a hard place in their hearts. Place of unbelief. And so what should have only taken 11 days took 40 years. That bothers me. Because... My wife will tell you, time matters to me. It just matters probably way more than it should, but it matters to me. I would have been so upset that a couple of dudes would have made us turn 11 days into 40 years. Anybody else be upset about that? Yeah, so they went from place to place to place. And not that we've been in a wilderness as a people, so the, the, the analogy breaks down here, but I will say that we have been from place to place to place to place to place. I was asking Bishop Brett, like, how many moves have we had to get to Chantilly? And he said, it's been 33 moves to get to this location. 33 moves in like 35 years, even though this is our 40th year, something like that. That's a lot of moving, going from place to place. But, you know, I I got great joy. Can I help you with something? The Bible talks about seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's not just future tense. God wants to open your eyes to see his goodness even in your present challenges and situations. So with those 33 locations, I realized he could have just taken a rock and dropped it in the middle of the water. But Jesus actually stood on the shore and said, I'm going to skip this one. You ever skip a rock across water? 
And if you can go three times, we're like, bam, it went three. Bam, it went seven. Like the most I've ever skipped a rock was like six or seven times. And I'm really proud of it. Maybe nine. But, you know, the story gets bigger over the time. But Jesus skipped us like, watch this rock. 33 times. Uh, Anyway. So. In this place, they left one place, and now after 40 years of going from place to place, they're entering into a new place. Same people, different persons. Same people, but not the same persons. Most of the people who actually left uh, and crossed the Red Sea were no longer living at the time they entered into uh, the Promised Land when they crossed the Jordan. So the Red Sea is 40 years apart from crossing the Jordan. Everybody got that. So here's the moment. When they obey God and they take this little box, which is called the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, the power of God, and men are carrying it with poles on their shoulder, priests, and as soon as they touch the water, it says that some distance away, probably outside their visual perception, the water stood up in a great big heap. So they're walking down in the water. It's cold. It's flood stage, and they get into the middle of it, and because the water was cut off, they had to stand there until it all flowed. So it's like how high it is, up to their waist, going down till it's at their feet. They're wet. They're cold. But the people are now instructed to cross, and they cross over on dry land, completely dry. Then when the people all get to the other side, according to what God said to Joshua, Joshua directs, choose 12 men, one from each tribe, to come into the middle of the Jordan, which is now dry, where they're holding the Ark of the Covenant, and they're to pick up 12 stones. Now, it says they had to carry them on their shoulders, so these are not rocks. They had to shoulder these stones that were right at the same spot where the Ark of the Presence is, God's presence. And each man, each of the 12, had to carry a stone and bring it to the other side. And they took it to the camp and set it up. And he says, these stones will be a memorial to you for generations to come, for all of Israel's history and future. So that when your children, when the generations to come ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them. Tell them what happened that was so miraculous. Tell them what I did because we have a tendency to forget. And nobody else is going to see the water part. Like, it happened here? Like That stone right there came from right here in the middle of this river. And they start putting that stone, that's the stone your uncle something something got. And that's the stone that your great-grandfather got. And that's the stone. So they got all these stones and they carry these stones with them. I'm going somewhere with this. After they get all these stones over, it is now a memorial. Let's kind of talk about memorials. I'm a native Washingtonian. D.C. is full of memorials. You seen any of them? We got Jefferson, we got Lincoln, we got King. We got memorials more than probably most places in America. And I've been to most, if not all of them. These memorials are these huge stones that we've erected, but they are not just there to look at. They're reminders. They're stones, they are called monuments because they represent something monumental that happened in history. So when you look at the Lincoln Memorial, it's monumental representation is of moving from slavery to emancipation in our nation and allows us who we are to be the diverse people to worship, right? That's all done by the spirit of God, but they represent something. Sunday morning, I was preaching at our Capitol Hill congregation. My wife and I drove and we got there 
early. And I said, babe, I want to go buy another memorial. I've seen the Jefferson. I've seen the Lincoln. I've seen King. I've studied. I've watched these. It's like it's beautiful. I said, there's a memorial I want to see. I went to a little place that maybe none of you have been to. A few of us here have. It's called 139 C Street Southeast. It is the first place we as a people had in 1982. That's when Grace Covenant got started, 1982. And the first pastor of that church is Pastor Mark and Debbie Koch. Yeah. So they came in 1982. Bishop Brett came in 1982. People came from all over the country to start. Bishop was at Indiana University, and they said, we need a campus minister. And they're like, you're the guy. That was his prophetic word, Deanna. Sent him. He came here. He had only been saved six months. He was a campus missionary. He was an associate pastor. He was a small group leader. He was on the worship team. He was doing all this stuff with Pastor Mark and Debbie Call. That was the whole, it was a team of, I don't know how many of them. And I showed up kind of circa 1985. You got to say circa when you go back that far. Circa 1985, <laughs> 1986. And can I tell you, on Sunday, I got out the car and I crossed the street. And that iron wrought gate is still there. And I put my hands on the gate. I'm 57 years old. And I realized that the first time I put my hands on this gate, I was 20 years old. And I thought, here I am standing at the gate again. This gate represents what I walked through when I entered into the kingdom of God. In that house, I was baptized in the backyard, just like Paul, Jaden, and Jordan here, in a horse trough, mind you. It wasn't as nice as this, but it counted because it was the same God. In that basement, I would eat cantaloupe and go to Bible studies every Saturday. In that basement is where the Word of God began to form something in me. In that basement is where I learned to confess sin and repent. At that house and showing up on Sunday is where I learned to worship God. It's where I learned that I'm, I'm called to be a part of the people. When I look back, the day I put my hand on that gate was the gate that God said, my hand is on you more than it's on your hand is on this gate. And I've never looked back. I've never looked back. Some of you just got here. And you're standing at the gate. Let me tell you, hold on for the ride. Amen. Hang on for the ride. So much would happen in that moment. But what you don't realize, and this is what the next generation I would want to really encourage you with, because so many things happen. I, I, I was just a hot mess when I showed up at 20. I had been academically dismissed from American University. I had a GPA that started with a decimal point. It was .45 <laughs> GPA. Are there any students in the room? Raise your hand if you're a student. Don't you feel encouraged about your GPA right now? Just hearing my, out of .45 GPA. I also had abandoned a son I never met. I abandoned him, literally. Can I tell you, we don't have time of all the stories, but literally God changed all of that. I, I might come back to it later on. Help me raise, just raise your hand, Pastor June, if I forget to talk about it. But, but I, I just came in with all my mess, and Jesus said, I'm going to take you just like you are. And I'm going to work on you on the inside. And you want to work on this stuff, but I'm going to be working on you while you're working in the church. It's, it, you're doing both at the same time, right? Yeah. And so you start growing. You're in a small group, and you're changing. You're growing, and you're serving. We set up and broke down chairs. We set up screens. We had to do this every week. The screen was not there. We had to put it up and take it down, put it up and take it down, set up the chairs and put it down. That's what we did. But serving caused us to have fellowship with one another, caused us to grow. And everybody who served with me is doing something fabulous with God right now. It was wax on, wax off. That's what it was. Somebody explain the movie reference if they don't get it. Jacket 
Jacket, jacket. What is it? Jacket what? Paint the fence and jacket on, jacket off. I'm trying to keep up with those who've seen the recent version, not the original version. You've got to keep up with my movies. So anyway, all this is happening. And I, I want to impart something with the help of the Holy Spirit that I think is significant. And if you can take this in, it will help you. Not long after they crossed the Jordan, they have this extraordinary victory called Jericho where the walls come down. Everybody know that? Right. It's the next battle I want to take your attention to. After Jericho, it's like, dang, we are the man. Did you see the way the walls came down? <laughs> Woo! We back. And, 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 and in fact, when they sent the spies to go figure out, there was a woman named Rahab who said, the fear of you is on us because we heard what God did through you when he dried out the Red Sea. She was referencing their history from 40 years earlier, saying, we're afraid of what God did with you 40 years ago. And now he's doing it all over again. We're scared of y'all. So like, we got this. This is our land. You don't want to get cocky. They're like, oh, we don't need to send the whole battle. Just send a few. They go into battle and they have the worst defeat ever. Soldiers lose their lives. Women lose their husbands. Parents lose their sons. I mean, it's just tragedy. It said when the news came back that they lost that second battle, it says at this, the hearts of all the people melted. They became afraid and they melted. Now, they're already in their promised land. They're already in the place of victory. Yet a defeat has happened and their hearts have become full of fear and melted like wax. I want to highlight that. Joshua falls on his face. He's tearing his clothes. God says, get up. What are you doing? In this place we're entering into, I'm so excited about what God's going to do that I want to encourage you with something that, that you need to be aware of. When they lost that battle, they lost more than the battle. There was such a loss of courage. There was a loss of confidence. They became over, it was overwhelming loss, fear, shrinking back. And Joshua, the leader of the people, he himself said this, Lord, why did you ever cause us to cross over through the Jordan? It would have been better to stay back. Why? When you hit a hard place, as you will hit a hard place coming into this next season, there's, t there's a tendency, number one, to lose heart, to lose courage, to become overwhelmed, and to question why. I want to catch you before it happens. When you hit a hard place and there's a loss of courage, a tendency to lose your perspective and wonder, God, why did you let this happen? And how was it popping? Why didn't you just leave us on the other side? Now, let me tell you how that hits me so you understand what's resonating in me as I'm telling you this. For Joshua to say, why did we ever cross over is a big deal. Because he's one of the 12 spies who initially said, it's our land, baby. And it was 10 other leaders who were standing opposed to what Joshua and Caleb were saying, like, we can't do it. It's too many giants. It's too big. It's not possible. They, were, they all saw the same thing, but they didn't see it the same way. Joshua saw it through the word of the Lord. Caleb saw it through what the God had spoken. They were seeing it through their natural experience. And at that moment, Joshua and Caleb are saying, no, 
This is God. We got to go, guys. And as a result of disobedience on the part of the ten, a bad report spread to all the people, and the people said, we can't do it, and they have to wait another 40 years. So for Joshua and Caleb to wait 40 more years, I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. Yo, man, I got to wait 40 more years because you 10 brothers didn't have your devotion with God. I got to wait 40 years because you weren't showing up to 715. You weren't cultivating faith in your heart with God. You weren't giving. You were in. You were among the people, but you weren't really connected. You weren't really dialed in. And so when it came time to have faith, you couldn't show up. And you couldn't encourage the people. And so now as a result, we got to wait 40 years. If I'm Joshua, I'm like not happy. So then explain this to me. After 40 years crossing over and then having one defeat, how is it possible that this great man of faith is saying, why did we ever cross? Do you feel the weight of that? Not you, Josh. You have sacrificed too much to get to this place. How can you now doubt whether you should go forward? That's what it's like when you hit a hard place. You begin to question. You begin to wonder. You begin to doubt. Man, I've had to fight with fear and doubt and stuff. Like, you just, I keep thinking fear is just going to like never show up. And, and it's still like, is it you again? Still, when are you going to leave me alone? I'm not going to quit. Just leave me alone. And, and, and so Joshua is in that moment, and God, I, at least in him, his being overwhelmed, he's at least still in conversation with God about it. Some of us turn to other things, he turned to God. And God says, stand up, there's sin in the camp. I haven't changed my mind about what I'm going to do, but there's something that needs to be repented of. Repentance needs to be part of your progress moving forward. It's not just repentance. Repentance is such a great word. It's, it's a beautiful word. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the wrath of God. It's actually his kindness. Kindness is God treating us better than we deserve. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He treats us better than our sins deserve. How many, is anybody glad about that other than me? So he treats you with this kindness. And so it's the kindness of God that leads you to repent. And repentance is the doorway into the kingdom of God. But then repentance becomes a way of life. If you doubt it, read a man like Daniel who is bawling for God. I mean, like he is speaking to kings, officials, all these kinds of people. And yet it says in Daniel chapter 9, I was busy confessing my sins to the Lord. He never arrives at a point where he's beyond confessing sin. You want to keep your heart not hard but soft. And repentance is a one way of realizing I need to fall on the rock daily. I don't want the rock to fall on me because if it falls on me, it crushes me. But if I fall on it, my heart is broken and becomes tender and soft all over again before God. And that process needs to happen repeatedly throughout your life. So many people go a long way with God, years and years and years, but their heart becomes hard along the way. It's not soft as it was in the beginning. You have to keep working and tenderizing, fall on the, oh, God. Thank you for showing me where I need to repent. My wife is such a great instrument in God's hand to get me to repent. There's nobody who can tell me about myself quite like her. And she's very kind when she does it. She's very kind, but it still hurts. Say this with me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now start to believe that. Don't just say it. So that next time you get wounded, don't go off on them. Go, oh, thank you. 
Excuse me while I get a Band-Aid. I'll be back. But thank you. Is that helpful? Repenting, practicing a lifestyle of repenting because repentance is that word about a change of heart, a change of mind. The closer you walk with God, the more you see his thoughts and ways and realize how unlike we are to him, and that's caused for you to have a change, and that's a good thing. That's what repentance is. It's not just you just did something horrible. It's I don't think the way you do. And as my thoughts are exchanged for yours, that's repentance. Get it? All right. The second thing is you've got to remember what God said. Remember what God said. Remember the word of the Lord. Pastor JC is sitting on the front row. We were 20 in our 20s, and this guy is a walking Bible. Like, like literally, you could say, well, who is Samuel's uh, mother? And everybody's like, oh, it's Hannah. And he's like, well, name the kids. He can name the kids. Like, he's that dude. It's like, and we used to play games sitting at 139 C Street where we'd sit across from the table and go, you have to quote a verse, and you had to get the reference. And we'd see if you could get to 30 or 40 or 50 verses. You had to say the verse. and say, It was our way of having fun but also downloading the word of God. You've got to remember the word of God. You've got to take this word. It can't be just something like a little latte from Starbucks. It's got to be something that gets deep down on the inside of you, that lives on the inside of you. Because when everything in your circumstance and situation is changing, you've got to hold on to that word. See, what God is saying to Joshua is, what are you doing down? Before you crossed, I said, cross the Jordan River. You and all these people enter into the land, which I swore, not just to you. Not just to Moses. Dude, I made this promise way back with a guy named Abraham. And do you think that one little defeat in this moment is going to change my mind about what I promised way back when? The word of God is unchanging. The word of God is going to accomplish the very purpose for which he sent it. Your experience, your feelings, everything will deny the word of God and you will have the opportunity to say, I'm not letting go of the word and the word's not going to let go of me. It has to become a way of life for you. There are things that God said in my life that just, I mean, when I got kicked out of school, they told me I would never set foot on that campus again. One day I'm praying with my, one of my best friends and I laugh out loud because God says, go back to AU. And my friend's like, why are you laughing? I said, God just told me a joke. What was the joke? He said, go back to AU. You say, oh, that is a joke. You are not going back. You are not going back. And, and, and I put on my little Paisley tie because Paisley was in in those days. And I went into the dean's office who told me I couldn't come back. And it was a new dean. And I was like, woo, new dean, new dean. Okay, okay, God, it's working. And the dean said, who are you? He said, I'm a returning student. Okay, great. Um, listen, this is not a scheduled appointment. Come back tomorrow. That'll give me a chance to pull your records. Ah, uh, my records. You don't want to pull my records. Okay, okay. Come back the next day. Um, you had the audacity to walk in my office and say that you were a returning student. You were never a student. You had a .45 GPA. Yes, yes, ma'am, I, I did. So why did you say you're a returning student? I'm not sure. I, I, I really am sorry that I'm even here right now. I, and why do you think you deserve to come back? I, I, I don't deserve to come back. Well, then, then why are you here? Uh, okay. I was standing at this gate. That's what I told them. God changed my life when I was here before I had no character. But since the time I've been expelled, Jesus found me. I'm part of a people. I'm following Jesus. He's Lord of my life. 
She said, that's a great story. Won't get you back, but it is a beautiful story. I said, yeah, thank you. As I stood to leave, she said, I want you to write me an essay. Why? Just do it. Write an essay on why you deserve to be back. I don't deserve. She said, just write it. So I wrote an essay, typewritten. I still have a copy of it. God's grace begins where your ability ends. I gave her the paper. She called me weeks later. I went back. She said, we're giving you what's called freshman forgiveness. You get to start over and you can reenter the university. My scholarship was reinstated. Instead of what I'm saying? I met this woman, stand up, my beautiful bride of 31 years. Turn around, let them see your face. We were on the worship team. She was singing. I was playing trumpet. Yeah, I used to play trumpet. Used to do mime, used to do all that stuff, right? And, and so we, we were on the worship team together, and um, my approach to her was totally different than before I was at the gate. Before the gate, like, hey, what's up? Can I get your number? Right. Back in the day, you asked people for numbers. Now it's DM. It's just all changed. There was no online meeting. It's in, but I asked God. I asked my pastor, Bishop Brett. I, I invited the whole worship team to my house and cooked for them because my family wasn't attending the church. And the only way for my family to see the woman who I thought I was called to marry without anything being given up was to invite the whole team to my house. So I cooked for the whole worship team. But it was really for her and my, parent, my mom and my brother to see her. And after everybody left, they gave me the thumbs up like, yes. Yeah. So then I asked her out. Second time we went out, I said, I got a son I never met. She said, I can't wait to meet him. My son was miraculously restored to us when he was age seven, and we had been married about six months. He was living in North Carolina, going to our Every Nation church called Kings Park International Church with Pastor Ron. Do you understand? When you walk through the gate, so all of that started beginning. See, because God told me, go back to school. God showed me things in the word. And then God said, I want you to, to, to plant a church. And I was like, ah, I don't know if that's the word of God. I'm not sure. I, I'm not feeling that one. <laughs> My wife had told me before we got married, I'm called to marry a pastor. I was like, well, here's your chance to get out. I'm going to be a lawyer. So God has a sense of humor. Look at me. Uh, talking about remembering the word of God. I will. I think today so many people read the Bible and they're encouraged by it, but there's been a drift away from it being the infallible, inerrant word of God. Like Jesus, when he speaks, his word is eternal. It will not pass. We sang songs about the earth passing away. And we have to be careful of things that are in our culture, in our heart, that disassociate us from the word of God so that we don't have its full weight in our life. Yeah. I'll try to give an example. Lewis Mumford is one of those great thinkers who has been called a noticer of time. I don't mean noticer of time as in he just looked at his watch but he understood the effects of time when we invented clocks on our humanity. Now, I'm wearing a watch. I believe in a watch clock. I need to say that because of what's about to follow. 
He said he thinks that the watch may have done more harm than all the treatises of the Enlightenment. Here's what he said. He said, he didn't say this part, but I started reading the Bible and putting it together. It's like, wow, God created the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. And he established days, seasons, all that stuff. So the way we used to be able to know what time of day was, was, okay, there's a sun, there's my shadow, it's noon. And we weren't into seconds and minutes if you go back far enough. But when we created this thing, we became timekeepers. And there's a little bit of a distance because God is creator who created the sun. We're no longer looking at what he created. We're looking at what we made. And then we went from being time keepers to time savers to time servers. And we were never meant to serve time. Time was, in, was created by God to serve his purpose with us being in it. How many ever felt like you moved from being a timekeeper to a time saver to now a time server? And you feel anxiety over trying to serve time. Well, the clock got invented in the 14th century, well after, well after Joshua. So he doesn't have this disassociation between him and God, him and the word of God. There's no filter that waters down the word. He's not wearing one of these. The word of God is living on the inside of him. So after the defeat of Ai, God says, get up. They deal with the sin. They go back to Ai. This time they win. They crush it. How many of you are glad that God is into do-overs? Ai is going to be a do-over. So as we look forward, here are the couple of things I want to live with, leave with you. They not only had a do-over with Ai, they're like, we're going to hold on to the word that he spoke to us before we crossed. Because now that we've crossed, we're going to hit some hard places. And when we hit those hard places, we need to have the word so in us because the rock is greater than any hard place we'll hit. And all the hard places are subject to the rock upon which we stand. So after Ai, they have some other battles. In the middle of one of those battles, which is why you got to remember the word of God. Because the word of God cuts through everything. It cuts through my own experience, my time, and all the technology. The word just levels all that and says, this is the word of God. Stand on it. When you can't stand on anything else, God will bring you to a point where you have nothing but the word. You can't have the word plus, it's just going to be the word. So Josh is in this battle, and it's the sun is about to set. But if it sets, they won't be able to finish the battle because there's no flood lamps. There's no general electric. There's only the sun. So something in that man, provoked by the word of God, turned and looked up and said, Son, stand still. He didn't serve time. Time served him. Why? Because he had the word of God living in you. There's things you're serving that you'll stop serving when you give yourself to the word. Do you understand what I'm saying? You got to let that word go so deep in you that the idea of telling the sun to stand still is no longer ridiculous. Who said time waits for no man? That day it waited for a whole nation. What I'm saying to you is that winning the city 
How do you win a city? It takes a rock. You got to have a rock to win the city. You have to repent daily. You have to remember the word of God. Eat it daily. You got to be able to speak the word until the word starts to move the stuff that you've been waiting to move before you speak it. Fear will cripple you. Long before I was pastoring, I was executive director for the Daryl Green Youth Life Foundation. And we were meeting in an office park called Herndon. And I had to give a report before the whole church. I was so scared to get up in front of people. When they said my name, I walked out of the sanctuary, out of the lobby, out into the parking lot. Pastor Duke Bendix came out in the parking lot and said, what are you doing? I was like, can I give the report next week? No, you got to go give it now. I was like, can I do it next week? My wife is praying for me. I have to walk back in. I walk up. I'm holding the podium so nobody could see me shaking. And it's just terrible the way fear would come on me. And my wife is looking at me praying. I'm like, this is just horrible, God. And then one day I just said, you know what? If I trip falling up on the stage, if I fall down, I don't care. Fear is just going to have to have that. Fear is not going to be the reason why I don't get up. I had to learn that. Our very first Sunday we got planted, our first service, I was mic'd up. JC's laughing. He was there. (laughs) Bishop Brett was sitting on the front row. Uh, JC was in the front row. I was about to preach, and um, I just fear hit me. I walked out of our auditorium. I walked into the men's room. I had my mic on. I didn't know it wasn't muted. <laughs> I'm praying in the spirit. Should have bought a Tesla. It, it, it. Oh, I'm praying in the spirit at the top of my lungs. There's music playing. There's a dance going on. Pastor Brett, Bishop Brett, here's a sound that isn't drums. He said, JC, JC, go find Don. Quick, before the song starts. JC's running through the school building. He comes back and says, Don. I said, what? Your mic is on. I'm like, ah. I'm walking in and think they all heard me like, welcome to our church. <laughs> Glad you're all here today. Wow. But at some point, at some point, you just move up to the battle line. Fear standing right there, but you all you got is the word of the Lord, shaking in your boots, not knowing that the giants are afraid of you. You got to stand on that line. Hold the line. Hold the line. You're going to hit moments of discouragement, disappointment, and you're going to want to go back. You think none of us have ever not wanted to go back? Last point, you got to revisit the unmistakable rocks of God's heart and hand with us. You see, if anybody ever wanted to go back across the Jordan, it wasn't going to part for you. You're going to have to swim to go back. It was a one-way ticket. Water part, dry line. Hey, oh, hey, we're going to the promised land. But then when you hit that defeat, it's like, ah, water part. Part water, water part. You can't get back. And you know what? You actually have to go back past the stones. You got to walk past the memorial stones, Pastor Pastor Tiffany. Can you imagine those stones 
and knowing where they came from? Are you trying to go back to the place of bondage? Back to the place of slavery? You better stop and look at those stones. Psalm 91, I'm a finish. Psalm 91 <clears throat> says this, his faithfulness will shield you. There's a path of rocks where I used to live, and it was like a wall of rocks. And I would start to number the rocks, not numerically, but experientially. When I was in, come on up, when I was in my <clears throat> mother's womb, there was a very challenging moment in her pregnancy where she questioned whether she should keep me or not. I, I don't have time, guys. But when I, hit, when I pray Psalm 91, I know it by heart. When I get to that part, his faithfulness will shield you. I don't just recite it. I start praying it. Lord, you shielded me when I was in my mother's womb. So whatever the worst day of my life, I had one. Shielded me when I was born with tuberculosis. Shielded me when I almost got hit by that car. Shielded me. Shield. You start walking through 10 stones in your life, and I tell you something will come on you that will make you not quit. Because you begin to see the goodness of God in the land of the living while you're in your situation. You don't need your situation to go away. You just need to speak about the stones in it. So on Sunday, when I was preaching at Capitol Hill, I walked in. And Pastor Stephen Law gave me this. This is a picture of GCC Brooklyn, your family in Northeast D.C. I wrestled. I said, thank God. Do you know what this is? It's a stone. It's a stone. 1982, that memorial is a stone. 33 clicks across the river, and here we are. Chantilly, another stone. I started doing the math. I said, wait a minute. Chantilly. Sterling, Latino, Korean, that's four. Cap Hill, Brooklyn, that's six. There's six wards left to go. Twelve stones. Twelve stones. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not saying this is theology. I'm just saying we're six stones away from something significant. Yeah. We're just six stones away. Yeah. Georgetown, yeah. Southeast, yeah. we're six stones away. And when these 12 stones are there, they're not just buildings, it's a memorial. And the next generation needs to know, do you know what Brooklyn means? Do you know what Cap Hill means? Do you know what Sterling means? Do you know what Chantilly means? Latino, Korean. Let me tell you what this means. It's grace of God. It's grace loves the city. It's God's grace to our city. And as you cross, I'll close with this. When that whole group of people went across, those big men had to shoulder those stones because leading a group of people is not just something you do in your own strength. You need the help of the Holy Spirit to shoulder that kind of weight. But I just imagine somebody was walking by some little girl or somebody and they said, got me a stone. How many stones you got? Look at all the stones in the walls right here. You're a stone in the wall. 
You are a stone, a living stone in the wall. I got so many stones, I can't quit. Do you know how many stones I would have to get? I got reconciled with my son. I graduated from AU. We planted a church. We're doing all this stuff. You got so many stones. I want to pray for you. If you're here tonight and you're saying, Lord Jesus, I want to be a part of winning the city. And I realize it takes a rock, and the rock is you. Just sit down for one second, and then I'm going to ask certain people to stand so I can distinguish you. If you're here and you go, I need to respond to the rock for the first time in my life. I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, hold your hand up. I see that hand. Great. I see that hand. Great. Great. If you're here tonight and you go, I've already responded to the rock. I'm entering in with this generation, but I realize I really need to work on repenting, remembering the word of God, and revisiting the unmistakable places of God's hand and heart being on me and on us. If that's you, stand. All right. Lord Jesus, for the persons who raise their hand on the first request, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, tonight, by your grace, I confess that I'm a sinner. My life is not yours. It's my own. But because of your kindness, you've treated me better than my sins deserve. Tonight I repent of living apart from you. And I confess, Jesus, You are Lord. And by your grace, I will worship and serve you only. Not myself, not anyone or anything else. I believe in my heart that three days after your death on the cross, you were raised to life from the dead for me. So I put my faith in you. Amen. For the second group, say this with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. You've called us to win this city. It takes a rock to do that. You are the ultimate rock. And I thank you for all the rocks in my life of your unmistakable hand and heart toward me, toward us. Help me remember the word of God in the face of challenging moments to hold on to the word while you hold on to us as together we win this city for you.